0: know what the the most asked question is across the board the most asked question I, 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 I know this for a fact because i googled it okay and the internet's never wrong but but here's the most asked question this question is asked over three million times a month what is my ip address that is the most asked question According to Google, all right. So, so here's here's where I'm going with this. I got to thinking about this. What is what? Do, I got to think about what what do people ponder the most? So I kind of changed my Google searches a little bit, and there's some really good resources, good Christian resources, where I came up with this. The most pondered question is this: What is reality? The second most pondered question is this: Is what is life? What is the meaning of Life. I, I would argue that 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 those two questions uh, of what is reality and what is life are actually. Uh, I think we can combine those questions into one. Uh, uh, we would argue that those questions are the same. Now, here's the thing: most of us have pondered the purpose of our lives, right? God, what do you want for me? What am I doing? Or should I take this job? Or what a, what does my future look like? All of those questions are the same question of of this: is what is what is the purpose of my life. How can something lasting or significant be achieved in my life? Church, this is not a new question, this is an old, age old question. In fact, uh, 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 King Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he pondered this question. In fact, I would argue that the whole book of Ecclesiastes is kind of centered around that question. Here's King Solomon, richest man that ever lived, the most the, the the wisest man that ever lived. He had it all. He had wealth, status. He had knowledge. He had pleasure. He had sex. He had he had homes. He had all servants. He had all kinds of possessions. He had knowledge. He had status. All of these things, and yet he had had this deep void of meaning in his life. All of those things. He had more than anyone else of all of those things. And and he was not fulfilled. Those things were not the meaning of his life. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he comes to this conclusion. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. This is what he says. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing with the good or evil. Here's what King Solomon is saying. It's vanity. All of those other things are vanity. And we have to have this understanding of our purpose in life. And, and, and look at me here. This is a look at me with your face. Moment, I don't think these guys said it while I was gone. That's kind of a thing that we say. Look at me with your face. Your life has meaning. Your life has meaning. Do you know why, how I know that your life has meaning? That the God of all creation created you. And He breathed the breath of life into you. He created you for a purpose. Your life has meaning because God created you. And He did so in His image. He made you in His image. He made us to be in fellowship with Him. He made us to serve Him. He gave us dominion over the rest of His creation. This is by God's design that He did all of these things. Us. We are created in God's image. We are given this dominion over the rest of all creation. But we struggle. Man, we struggle with this question. What's the meaning of my life? What is uh, what how can I get purpose in my life? And and here's here's why I would argue that we struggle with this question. We don't like the answer. We don't like the answer. Here's the answer that we want. Man, I want life to be about me. I want to be the center of it. We would probably never admit that out loud. But isn't that how we function? Man, I want life to be about me. Like, that's why we get upset about things. Or, man, I just wish I had a new car. Or I wish I had this. Or, or so-and-so said this about me and I struggle with it. This is We don't like the answer to the question. We want the answer of me. I am the meaning of all that is created. This is, this is Here's the thing, church. This is the origin of sin. I would argue that, that, that pride, our own self-righteousness, and pride is the root of all of our sin. This is what we see at the very beginning, that the fall, you can be like God. No, you can't, because you're not God. You're created. It's the origin of sin. Because of the fall, and ongoing effects of sin, we wrestle with the meaning of this question. We wrestle with the meaning of life because we wrestle with sin. But Here's the amazing news. This is the beautiful thing. The gospel, the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what He's done for us, it restores us to a right position with God. It it also gives us this purpose in life. That purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And let me tell you something, that is the best thing for you. That's why King Solomon says what he did. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says about this very thing. Isaiah 43, 7, It says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I form and made. This, this means that God, by His kindness, He calls us back into a right relationship with Him for His glory and our joy. You're created to enjoy your Creator. And we do that by submitting to His good authority. So here's the thing, true meaning and joy in life is found and restored in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you hear nothing else this morning, I pray that you hear that. I don't know what you walked in here with this morning. I don't know what burdens. I don't know what junk. I don't know with just what troubles, what pride, what sin you're dealing with. I don't know all of those things. But I know this. If you walked in here this morning carrying something that you shouldn't, it's all about you. There is meaning and joy and life found and restored in who Jesus is. Now I get to unpack this in a very obscure passage today. So let's read our passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 18, verses 20, uh, 18 through 23. Paul's in Corinth. He's about to leave. But listen to this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers. And he set sail for Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila at Century. He, and he, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus... And he left them there, Priscilla and Aquila. He left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When, he, when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, underline this I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went, went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Persia, strengthening all the disciples. I, I love this passage of Scripture because so often we can skip over it. But there's a lot that we can pull out of here. The, 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 you guys understand, that the second half of the book of Acts details this missionary efforts of the Apostle Paul. In fact, we're coming to the end of his second missionary journey. He's about to start his third one in our journey through the book of Acts. And Paul's a very interesting character in Scripture, but, uh, uh, but the narrative that we see here is not about the Apostle Paul. He's not. In fact, I, I would say that all of Scripture is about who God is. Yeah, he's important in there, but, but all of Scripture, God is the main character. So when you read your Bibles, think of that way. But I want us to see the significance of Paul's life in our text, and hopefully we can see the joy of the glory of God in our own lives when we surrender to King Jesus on a daily basis. Let me give you a little background. If you, you're wondering, maybe you're new here, maybe you've been out like me for six weeks or something like that. Let me give you a little background on Paul. This Apostle Paul, he, he was born a Jew. He was an Israelite. He was a Roman citizen. That was what it means he was that just by him being born where he is, there was things accredited, automatically accredited to him in society. He was a Pharisee, meaning he, was, uh, he knew the law. In fact, he, he studied under the most famous uh, Jewish rabbi, this Gamaliel. He studied under him, and he was... He was he knew the, the Old Testament, the, the Pentateuch. He knew those things, and, and and here's the thing about Paul is is if I don't know if you remember, but he was a persecutor of the church. This guy went about man. He was he was persecuting Christians. He was an enemy of the church and uh, killing Christians and putting them into prison. And this was he had set out to do this. What this and we see this early in the book of Acts. In fact, after uh, Acts chapter uh, six or Acts chapter seven we see where he holds the garments of those that are stoning Stephen to death. He approves of it. He sits by and he holds their garments and go, go get them boys. Hurl rocks at him. And Stephen is preaching the gospel to these guys. An enemy of the work of Christ. But God wasn't done with Paul. You keep reading in Acts chapter 9 that God revealed Himself to Paul. He's on His way to persecute Christians. The resurrected Jesus comes to him, blinds him, knocks him off his horse, calls him unto himself, redeems him. It's the first time that, that, that the Apostle Paul calls Jesus Lord, and we see that where he spends the rest of his life serving Jesus and he finds great joy in it. I love what you see in Acts chapter 9. Uh, uh, there's this guy, Ananias, he comes to, to get Paul to bring him uh, right after he's, right after he's been blinded. And, and God calls him, he, he goes and gets him and he's going to bring him to the church, and these other Christians. And, and listen to what he says here. Because uh, Ananias goes, Lord, are you sure? Look at Acts chapter 9 verses 15 and 16. This is a response. He says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Hmm. From there, the Apostle Paul, he surrendered his life over daily in joy to share the gospel of Jesus. It's not like he can walk into a nice air-conditioned building where people are wanting to hear what he has to say. There's comfortable chairs. Most of them are up front. Folding chairs are in the back. You think about this. This is not what Paul did. He, he walked into places where people were an enemy of him. You look at his, his track record. He's stoned. He's beaten. We've already studied this. That he was stoned and they thought he was dead. He gets up and walks back into the city. He's relentless. He's ridiculed, mocked, and beaten. But look at what God does through him. Churches are planted, believers are encouraged. We see this in our own passage here. The kingdom grows. God uses the Apostle Paul to grow the church and his kingdom through his submission. He says in Romans 15 it is his ambition to preach the gospel. And that's done through his continued submission of his life to his Savior and Lord. That's what we see in our passage here. Here's the thing: in our passage here, Luke doesn't give us a whole lot of what's going on here. I don't know. Uh, I, I, we don't know uh, that that we don't know what, what what was going on here. Why did Paul have take a vow? Uh, it doesn't say. We're, Luke doesn't tell us here. We don't know. Why was he leaving? Why did he Why did he leave Corinth? Why didn't he? Uh, Why didn't he stay in Ephesus? We don't know other than we know that God was leading him and he was submitting to the authority of God in his life to do what he did. That's why he said, if God wills. If God wills. Maybe it seemed like a very obscure passage, but like all of scripture, there's so much for us to see here. And here's Here's what we do see about the Apostle Paul. His ambition was to constantly surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. That's where we're going today. That's what I'm preaching on. What does it look like for us? And the example that we see of the Apostle Paul, but what does it look like for us to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus? Here's the first thing that we have to understand: is this is Jesus is more than a Savior. He is Lord. Here's the thing: we can't submit to Jesus' lordship without knowing that He is Lord. And here's the thing. This is something I think we deeply need to press into, uh, again, and and get a better understanding. Because here's what I see so often. There's so many professing Christians that say Jesus is their Savior. And they they even give lip service to say that He is Lord. But they have no idea what it means to have Jesus as Lord of their lives. Because here's the thing. He can't be one or the other. He is both or he is neither. So what does it mean to be Lord? Lord is someone with authority and power and control. This is who Jesus is. He has all authority and power. We see this throughout Scripture over and over again in his creation. He holds all things together. What Colossians says. see this in John chapter 1 before all things. We know all of these things. But it's a struggle for us. Because here's what we want. We want a Savior. But man, we want to be Lord, don't we? We don't want to go to hell. We just want to do what we want to do, right? This is the struggle that we have. True salvation is... Is just not simply acknowledging that Jesus died for your sins. True salvation is surrender to his lordship in your life. And here's the thing, church we have to preach these things. That's why we talk about sin and talk about repentance here at this church because we do you no good if we don't talk about those things. Because this is what it means to surrender to that, to surrender that Jesus is Lord cheap, and I would argue and say a, a false understanding of Christian, Christianity is Jesus loves you and died for you, and that's it. We're really good at saying, oh, Jesus loves you. But where's the part of this? Of how are you submitting to the good lordship of Christ? That's so why we preach. We preach the way that we do. We talk about these hard things, So we talk about, this is why the resurrection is so important. There's this focus on the cross and there should be, absolutely, there should be a focus on the cross because, because Christ died and took on sin and judgment and sin is dealt with on the cross. But that's not the full gospel there. We have to talk about the resurrection, the resurrection. Christ rose again. He defeated death. And He did so that we could have new life. Christ did not die and go to the cross to pay for your sins, for you to just keep on going and not acknowledge lordship in His life. He calls us to repentance, to turn from those things and, and, and follow Him. This is what He did for us. This is the resurrection, what makes it so good. A transformed life is one of submission to his good and kind authority. It means that we we hand the reins of our lives over to Jesus. Here's the thing let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you are perfect. We're still in a broken world, we're still in broken bodies. We still have temptation to sin and we give in to that. What it does mean is that Christ has paid for that and our ambition should be to live out of that goodness of who He is, of our forgiveness. A transformed life is one of submission to His good and kind authority. It means that we hand these reins over, the reins of our lives over to God and we trust Him with all that we have and all that we are. This is what we see in Paul. Look at what he says in verses 20 and 21. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. I just want to be obedient to the Lord. The Lord is leading me here. How well do we do this? I've wrestled with this for, for quite some time in my own life. Even just preparing for this, of just convicting questions of going, man, where am I submitting to the Lordship of Jesus? Are we willing to submit to God's authority in our lives? What, is, what does it look like for us to live open-handed to the Lord? It's very easy for us to give lip service and say, if the Lord wills. Anybody ever said that? About two of us? Do we really mean it? I mean, this is things that I ponder in my own heart. of going, God, I want you to have control. And, and, and I think about this. God, I want you to have control. But, but there's this, this fleshly nature of me that I don't want you to have control. And, and my prayer has been that God help me to push that away. God help me to surrender all of those things. He even helped me to surrender my not wanting to give you control over to you. What does it look like for us to surrender every aspect of our life over to God's good authority? It's a big struggle. It's a big struggle because here's the thing. We can trust God with the easy things, right? We can trust God with the easy things. But what about the things that we hold most dear? Yeah, God, I I can let you have control of these things. but, But this over here, I really like this. I want to hang on to these things about our finances. You ever pray to God? What do you want me to do with this? What about your job? God, is this where you want me to work? God, I know this is a very secular company that I work for, and I could be risking, risking my employment by living for you as salt and light in my community. Is this what you want me to do? What about your relationships? Man, if I talk about Jesus to this person, to my fishing buddies, or my hunting buddies, or my golf buddies, or, 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 or these folks that I see here, or whatever, man, will they, will they think different of me? Are we willing to surrender those relationships over? What about the relationships that you struggle with? Of pride in there, I want to win this argument, or I want to be right here. Are we willing to surrender that over to the Lord and go, what glorifies you most and is good for me? There our status? Our homes, our lifestyles, our comforts, or even our sinful desires. Is, is Christ Lord over those? Here's the thing, Christian. Let me give you some encouragement here. You're probably thinking, God, Josh, I know. I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm hearing what you're saying. I wrestle with these things. Let me encourage you, all of the Christian life is a battle to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Until He comes and makes us new, it's going to be a battle. But praise God, He is faithful. It's a battle because we want control. We want control of these things. We want to dictate the narrative. But here's the problem when we try to dictate the narrative Because we're broken and corrupt and left to control the narrative means that the ending is broken and corrupt. But when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, brokenness is healed. And instead of corruption, we get reconciliation. That's what surrender looks like. I love what Paul tells the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Listen to how he describes this. This is what it means to surrender. He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Why would we not do this? I have a notepad and how I prepare for sermon, I begin and I just read through and I pray through a text, and I begin to write down things that really stick out to me. And this is one thing that I wrote down in the middle of this notepad as I'm preparing for this sermon. Why would we not surrender all that we are to Jesus? Why? Here's the second thing I want us to see in the example of Paul here and what God calls us to. Surrender is other person centered. i got a little bit of work to kind of unpack this, but I want you to understand this. This is what surrender looks like. Surrender is other person centered. And I would argue that most of our struggles come out of not doing that. I would argue that most of the things that we wrestle with and the things that we struggle with is putting myself first. Oftentimes when, when there is conflict between my wife and I, it's because I'm putting myself first. Oftentimes when, when, when there are things that I can, I, we can get ourselves into trouble is because I want what I want and I'm not putting other people first. To submit to the lordship of Jesus is other person centered. We see this in the life of Paul. That when he surrendered to Jesus, his focus was, was off of himself. This is how he lived his life. I got a good friend, we talk about the apostle Paul all the time when we meet to study God's word. And I love how he describes it in his just good old redneck ways. He talks about Paul and, and his buddies looking at him and go, Paul, you get off the boat, they're going to beat you. And this is the way he he translates this is his translation of the Bible there and I love it so very much. He says Paul looks at him and goes, "Uh, it'll be all right. It'll be okay. God's got this. This is where God wants me to go. It'll be okay. Why can't we this is the way Paul surrendered his life. We see this evidence of this in the text. He surrendered to Jesus and his focus was off of himself and first and foremost on the glory of God and then to others. Isn't this the answer to the greatest commandment that we love the Lord our God with all the heart, mind, soul, strength and that we love a, our neighbor as ourself? This is other person-centered gospel living here. We see this in his vow. I don't know why Paul took a vow. It's more than likely a Nazarite vow. But I know this. He did so to show his gratitude and honor to the Lord. And he did so to set an example of his gratitude and honor to the Lord to other people. I'm sure people look at him and go, Paul, why would you cut your hair? Come to your beard? It was so majestic. But they knew that he was doing this in a way to honor God. A submission to the Lord. The remainder of his life was spent with the focus on others. The first and foremost, he was focused on Jesus and the gospel, and his ambition in his life was to serve Jesus. And in that, he found his purpose. His purpose. His surrender to the lordship of Jesus meant that his aim in life was for God's glory. That's how he opens the book of Romans. Romans 1.1, listen to the way he describes a Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called To be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul didn't say, hey, I'm a Jew, I'm a Pharisee, i got all this knowledge, I have all this following and all of this. He goes, no, no, no. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And I think Paul had to say it over and over as a reminder to himself, maybe that's a good thing that we we should do is just remind ourselves that we are called by God's grace through His glory and we are to be about God's grace through His glory, for His glory. Paul set aside his own desires and ambitions to make much of Jesus. He set aside his own status, his own comfort, his own position to be Jesus-centered. jesus centered Listen to what he, he talks about to the, the church in Philippi. He writes this in chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. He says, Though I myself have, been re, have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Oh, church. What an example. Paul had it all. He says it's garbage, it's trash, it means nothing to the value of my relationship with Jesus and making much of Him. It's nothing, the ambition I have in life, my purpose is to make much of Jesus and it's so good. His ambition in his life was surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus against all odds, shipwrecked and beaten, all of those things. His life was centered around the glory of God and not his own. Church, true surrender is also focused on other people. We see this in Paul's life as well. His goal was that others may know and grow in their relationship with Jesus. The dude walked everywhere. Labored over and over again. Walked into cities where he knew that he would be persecuted. Oh, but they would know the goodness of the gospel. He even says this. He he even almost curses himself saying that, oh, that my kinsmen, my fellow Jews would know the glory of Jesus. He even states that he would even give up his own favor with God that they would know that. Oh, that we would be more like that. His goal was that others may know and grow in their relationship with Jesus. Traveled and preached and taught and encouraged So that others, too, would know the joy and hope that he knew and could not be taken away. He strengthened churches and he encouraged others. Christian, Christian, this is what we are to be about. As believers in Jesus, we, too, need to be focused on strengthening, encouraging others in the Lord. And and, and this often means that we set aside our own comforts and our own desires for the sake of, Of others how well are we doing that how well do we really set aside our comfort and our priorities for the sake of others that they may come to know the greatest news of all and that is salvation through Christ Jesus can I get a little personal we had a couple of people. Okay, I guess I'm preaching to you, <laughs> husbands. Husbands, we are to forsake ourselves for the sake of our wives and our kids. It's scriptural. We are to lay our lives down for the growth and health of our families in their relationship with Jesus. we encourage them. Now let me say this, husbands. You are the leader of your home, but you are not Lord. Let me say that again. You are the leader of your home, but you are not the Lord. There is only one Lord, and that is Christ Jesus. And the only authority that you have is what is given to you by God. And that looks a whole lot different than what the world says. It means that you are to lay your life down for your family, for your wife, and encourage her in her relationship with Jesus. And you are to foster that relationship that your kids have with Jesus. And know that you cannot save them, but it is absolutely your main responsibility to lead them in their relationship with Jesus. Wives, how are you laboring alongside your husband for the betterment of your husband and kids? Do you really sit down with your husband and think about, hey, we have a really busy week and how much of this really brings our kids closer to Jesus or how much of this is really pulling them away? That's a hard question to ask because we can really get busy with with all kinds of things throughout the week. But really, what are we we setting aside for the the good of our, our kids and our families that have eternal impact? kids? I think I'd leave you out, did you? How are you honoring your parents? How are you honoring your parents? By submitting to their authority in your life, of leading you that way. Do you know that your parents want the best for you? Are you submitting to that? Families, families as a whole, how are you having conversations about how you live as a testimony of the glory of God? Here's a better way to say that. The people that are non-Christians know that your home is a Christian home. Do they know it? Is it evident how we live our lives and share the truth of the gospel? And here's what that is, is just submitting to the glory of God. Those things that we submit to. What are you willing to endure and submit to for the sake of God's glory and the good of others? How are you focused outward on the Lord and others rather than yourself? Because here's the thing: when, when we think about that that submission is other person focused, this is the way that we need to think about this. And here's when we talk about God, Christ alone first. It means that we have to trust the Lord with the answers that we don't have. Are you submitting to God's authority maybe in the struggle that you're having now? Maybe it's an illness that you're battling and it don't look good. Are you submitting to God's good authority even in that, that He knows? Maybe you're wrestling with something of just strife that you've had in your life. Are you trusting? And this trusting means submitting to God's good authority even in those things. Well, God, this really, really hurts. But are you submitting to the goodness and the kindness of God even in that that He is sovereign even in a broken world that is not? Got to move on very quickly. Here's the last one I want to pull out of here. And I don't want us to miss this because some of this stuff that we've talked about has been pretty heavy. But I want you to know this. There is great joy And it is a gift to surrender. There's a gift of joy in surrender. Here's here's kind of what I just hinted at. The Apostle Paul wrote of his, his joy in surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in almost every letter he wrote. The beginning of it, every letter he wrote, he he. I, I'm so. It's just so good to be submitting to to the Lord and encouraging you. Listen to what he says to the church of Philippi in chapter two, verses one through four. He says, "So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation of the Spirit, any affection and sympathy." Complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Complete joy. Paul saying, here's where joy is found. Submitting to the goodness of who Jesus is, submitting to the truth of the gospel. The church, this, this joy is an unbelievable gift from God granted to him and to us when we surrender. It was granted to Paul and to us when we surrender. And Christian, I'm here to tell you this is a precious gift that we should pursue through pr- surrender. We should find great joy in surrendering. And here's the thing. To refuse to surrender is, is burdensome for us. You know why it's burdensome? We were never (laughs) designed to carry that weight of non-surrender. That's why sin has consequences. So all of those things, this is is why we were never created to do that. We were not made to shoulder the control of our own lives. And, and, And when we try, we are left more broken, we're left more disappointed, we're left more empty, We're left more hurt. And just as King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, it is vanity. But when we go, God, here are my hands. Make them clean. I'm trying. But my trying is not good enough. I need you to take the reins of my life. And God, I need you to help me surrender in all things. To you. And it doesn't mean that we're going to have all kinds of joy and not all kinds of wealth and prosperity and all of those things. You know what it does mean? It means that we have surrendered to the goodness of God and all of His sovereign plan that we get eternity with Him. It means that we know that we are sinners saved by grace. It means that we, we know what we deserve is the wrath of God because of our sin. But God being rich in mercy, He has come and He has paid the penalty for us on the cross, that Christ Himself, God in the flesh, took the wrath of God and went to the grave and rose again so that we could have this new life surrendered. It's the gospel. We get this so often that Jesus died on the cross. Yes, but He calls you into faithful surrender to Him. He calls us into that. He says, if you would just come to me. Burden is easy. You're carrying junk that you don't need to carry. You need to surrender those things to me. And if you would just come to me and trust in me with those things, I will hold you. I will keep you. Man, we wrestle with this. But there's so much joy. Here's the thing. There's such a, a joy in not having all the answers. People come to me and go, Josh, what do you think is going to happen to my marriage? I don't know. I don't have the answer. But I know if you would just trust fully in the Lord, He has it. God, uh, Josh, uh, my family is wrestling with this illness. and, and Josh, what's, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. But I know that God is good. And I know that he has the answer and we need to trust in him in all of these things. Such joy in that. When we surrender the good lordship of Jesus, we are putting our hope in the one that holds all things together. We can't. You can't hold all things together, but He can. The one that is sovereign and promises to lead us and to guide us, and He promises never to forsake us. This is the God that we surrender to. It's not some God that sits on a cloud and just waiting to judge us. He said, Loving Father, we just sang about it. He says, If you would submit to me. For his children, He cares for us. It is trusting in the perfect God who has the perfect plan for us. And here is the thing. To fail to surrender is a lack of faith in the one that we say we have faith in. If you call yourself a Christian and you are failing to surrender to the goodness of God, it is a lack of faith of who you say you have faith in. Here's how we can embrace the joy of surrender. Really, three things very quick. Pursue your relationship with Jesus. It's a no-brainer, right? You saw that one coming, right? Here's how you can embrace the joy of surrender. Pursue your relationship with Jesus. Know Him. Read His book. Pray. Fellowship with other believers. Here's another way that you you can remember His past faithfulness. When's the last time you just thought, sat and going, man, I just remember how God was faithful in the past. We're so easy to forget. Very short memories of God's faithfulness. Remember his his past faithfulness. Here's another way. Be, Be mindful of his promises. Be mindful of God's promises that he makes those that he has redeemed and called his own. And here's the last one. Remember that his glory is good for you. God's glory is good for you. We need to call Jordan and have him put that on a t-shirt. We're we'll wear it next Sunday. God's glory is good for you. And here's the thing. If we can trust God with our salvation, why can't we trust Him with our today? If we can trust Him with our eternity, why can't we trust Him with our today? True meaning and joy in life is found and restored in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's my questions for you Do you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and are you submitting to His Lordship? Maybe you came here today and going, Hey, I know this, I have this head knowledge of Jesus, and I kind of understand that. But here's the thing this is what the faithful and sovereign calling of God does, He calls us into surrender. To him. Do you know that? Do you are you truly submitting all that you are? Your junk, your filthiness, your sinfulness, everything else to the good graces of God through Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Here's number two. What do you need to surrender to the Lord? Loaded question. What, what does that look like for you? What do you need to surrender to the Lord? And here's what that looks like. How are you making much of Jesus in your life? You may need to sit and go, hey, I I just need to submit my family to the Lord. Maybe, maybe it's baptism. Maybe you just need to submit to the Lord in baptism. Maybe you're like, hey, I trust in Jesus, but I haven't been baptized since I truly came to faith in Jesus. Maybe you just need to submit to that. Maybe, maybe you need to sit down and go, God, I need to reorchestrate where I work and submit that to you. Maybe, maybe you need to sit down and use a family unit going, man, how are we really submitting our week to Jesus? How much of our week really goes to glorifying the Lord? And how much of it goes to other things that really, in all eternity, will not matter? Can I just be real with you? Your kid is probably not going to play pro ball. They might. Might get a good scholarship. But think about this. Maybe you need to sit down and go, as a family, and Go. and we need to look and focus on our financial situation. And what are we truly submitting to the Lord there? Number three, how does the Lordship of Jesus refocus your affection on him and others? Man, these questions are so intertwined together. How does the Lordship of Jesus really call us to our affection of Him? Do we, do we have deep affection for what Christ has done for Him, done for us, and does that stir our affections to love and to serve and surrender to Him more? And how does that stir us to love others more? And here's the last one. I know it's getting late been off for six weeks, okay? Are you missing the joy of to true surrender to Jesus? It's there. Man, it's there. There's so much great joy and relief and burdens removed when we truly surrender to King Jesus. I'll leave you with this. Paul says this in Galatians 2:20. And this is, I pray this all the time, and I pray this for our church. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, may we live that way. If you're a believer in Jesus, oh, how are we surrendering? Maybe you come here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus. And maybe God has called you to faith and surrender. I pray that you would make that commitment. Come and see me. Come see Mark or Justin or Brett or Stephen, Cody, Tim. Come and find someone and go, I want to know what this surrender really looks like. I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you need to surrender to the Lord through baptism, I'd love to have that conversation with you love planning baptism services. But maybe there's somewhere else that you need to surrender to the Lord and maybe you just need to talk to somebody about it. I'd love to do that. Stop rebelling and find joy and peace and comfort in sweet surrender to the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you are a God that calls us out of darkness into marvelous light. I pray that you are the one that shows us what surrender looks like and the goodness of that. So, Father, would you help us? Help us to to live so open-handed that we can honestly say, if the Lord wills. Help us, O Lord, to be that and to do that for the glory of your name and our joy. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.